I thank God for all the many people who have led us so marvelously in worship this morning. We're in a sermon series called Galatians Afresh. Uh, we are seeking to take a fresh look at Paul's ancient epistle to the Galatians. And today I want to draw your attention to Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 13 through 18 from the New Revised Standard Version. And I have adjusted the title of the sermon slightly. The title is Freedom in Between. Freedom in Between. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Have you ever found yourself seeking something in between two alternatives? Maybe somebody is going to dinner at McDonald's and somebody else is going to dinner at Hondo's Steakhouse, but you are seeking something in between. Maybe somebody's staying at the Ritz-Carlton and somebody else is staying at the Super 8, but you are seeking something in between. Maybe somebody's reading War and Peace and somebody else is reading People magazine, but you are seeking something in between, maybe somebody's skiing a triple black diamond and somebody else is over on the bunny slopes, but you're seeking something in between. Maybe somebody's making straight A's in all AP classes and applying to Harvard and somebody else is barely making enough C's and D's to graduate from high school, but you are seeking something in between. The Apostle Paul is in a similar situation he's seeking something in between as we have noted throughout this sermon series the reason Paul wrote Galatians is because misguided teachers were misleading the Galatian Christians they were saying that Gentile Christians the non-Jewish people who believed in Jesus Christ had to obey the Old Testament law by undergoing circumcision and keeping certain dietary restrictions just like the Jewish Christians did. Paul countered that 
the faithfulness of Christ in his death on the cross is what justifies us before God, not keeping the Old Testament law. The main message throughout the first four chapters of Galatians is that we are set right with God through faith in Christ, not by doing the works of the Old Testament law laid out in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Since Paul claims that Christians are not required to follow the letter of the Old Testament law, he faces the question of whether his gospel lacks moral standards. If not the law, what is the ethical compass for Christians? If not the law, what is the standard for Christian conduct? If not the law, what's to keep uh, Christians from sliding into a way of life in which anything goes? Paul is caught between two alternatives. Legalism and libertinism. Legalism is strict adherence to the Old Testament law. Libertinism is doing whatever you want. In Galatians 5... Paul is seeking something in between. He launches into verse 13 by repeating a key theme of the letter. You were called for freedom. Ancient philosophers spent considerable time, effort, and ink debating the nature of freedom. The philosopher Epictetus offers a representative definition when he writes, he is free who lives as he wills, who is subject neither to compulsion nor hindrance nor force, whose choices are unhampered. But Paul means something different when he speaks of freedom. Oddly, Paul envisions freedom in terms of slavery, the paradoxical nature of Paul's thought is on full display as he tells the Galatians not to use their freedom in Christ as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but rather as a chance to serve others. Through love, become slaves to one another, he says. Although the term slaves does not sound like freedom, notice that Paul adds the qualifier to one another. Like all systems of slavery, Greco-Roman slavery was predicated on hierarchical relationships in which some were slaves and some were masters. Yet Paul's understanding of freedom in Christ entails everyone choosing to take the form of a slave to one another. None is master except Christ alone. The slavery Paul envisions is really no slavery at all because of the mutuality involved and due to its voluntary nature. He is calling for all to serve each and for each to serve all, not in terms of obedience, but in terms of love. He's talking about slavery not as a system of hierarchy, but as a practice of equality. 
Since Christ is the only master, everybody else is equal. Paul's language of slavery therefore subverted the Greco-Roman system of slavery because if everyone were to serve one another as slaves, then the so-called masters of first century households would have to serve their so-called slaves in mutual love and egalitarianism would take over. Paul's emphasis on love continues in verse 14 where he says the whole law is summed up in a single commandment you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A better rendering of the Greek is the whole law is fulfilled in a single commandment. To love your neighbor is not to do the law or to obey the law. It is to fulfill the law. Bible scholar Hans Dieter Betz writes, the doing of the Jewish law is not required for Christians, but the fulfilling of it is. When we love our neighbors, the entire Old Testament law is satisfied. When we love our neighbors, the entire Old Testament law is completed. When we love our neighbors, the entire Old Testament law is accomplished. When we love our neighbors, the entire Old Testament law is fulfilled. The phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, may sound cliche, but it can change lives and transform communities. I know a family who did their evening devotion one night on the simple biblical teaching to love your neighbor as yourself. As they all prayed in silence about how to apply the love of neighbor to their own lives, each member of the family independently thought of the same person, a senior adult who lived down the street from them. So they paid her a visit to see if there was any way they might be able to help her. It turned out that she was in desperate need of assistance. She had hoarded a large amount of material, so much that you could hardly move about her house without bumping into stacks of stuff that reached all the way to the ceiling. She also needed help managing her finances, preparing meals, even bathing. Since she had no family, this Christian family down the street unofficially adopted her. They checked on her daily, helped her with meals, and assisted her with reorganizing her home and managing her finances. Eventually, they were able to get her admitted to a lovely assisted living facility, which she had plenty of money to afford and which she very much enjoyed. Paul might say this family chose to become slaves to her in love and in doing so, they fulfilled the entire law. That's the kind of thing that happens when we walk by the Spirit, as verse 16 says. Paul indicates that the daily moral life of believers is to be guided by the Spirit rather than the law. Again, Paul is carving a path in between legalism and libertinism. Paul is charting a course 
in-between letter of the law-ism and do-whatever-you-want-ism by advocating live-by-the-spirit-ism. Notice how he promotes walking by the Spirit while also punctuating the freedom of the Christian. There is freedom in walking by the Spirit. It reminds me of a trip my wife Dana and I took to St. Louis some years ago. As we were walking downtown on the sidewalk, there was a man about uh, 50 or 60 feet in front of us who was walking in a very unconventional way. He would take several huge steps in a row, lunging forward and swinging his arms wildly. He would run jump into the air, put his feet on the side of a building, push off, and then land again. He would spin around, kick his foot out, and do fancy, quick dance moves. At one point, he approached a a, a stairway, and he jumped up and put his feet on the rail and cut a backflip off of it and landed it as well. I said, Dana, I think that guy is freestyle walking. Have you heard of freestyle walking? (laughs) Freestyle walking is an unofficial sport that's popular in many uh, urban areas around the world. It's kind of like skateboarding minus the skateboard. (laughs) Freestyle walkers use jumps, air moves, fancy footwork, and other unconventional walking maneuvers, and they do this in order to, you know, self-express, and also in order to recreate. What I loved about the man in St. Louis was that he could not have possibly cared less what everybody else thought about the way he was walking. (laughs) He was unashamed to be walking freely in a very different way. Likewise, we Christians can learn the art of freestyle walking in the spirit. Instead of the same old one foot in front of the other, we can take a different set of steps. We can walk with love in a world that's often callous. We can walk with joy in a world that's often dour. We can walk with righteousness in a world that's often unscrupulous. We can walk with generosity in a world that's often greedy. We can walk with peace in a world that's often combative, unconstrained by the conventional choreography of this world and unashamed of the gospel we believe in. We can march freely to the drumbeat of the Spirit. This is easier said than done though verse 17 warns that what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit the flesh is a force that influences human beings to operate with selfishness pride competitiveness envy lust rivalry contentiousness and all manner of sin But the Spirit is the active, unseen presence of God working in the world and working in our lives. Instead of the proverbial devil on one shoulder and angel on the other, Christians have the flesh and the Spirit 
warring within us. We are not without a will, however. We are not without agency, for we can choose which power to yield to at any given moment. As we walk by the Spirit in between legalism and libertinism, as we walk by the Spirit in between letter of the law-ism and do-whatever-you-want-ism, we must beware the flesh. For one season, I was an assistant coach on my daughter Maggie's Little League baseball team of six- and seven-year-olds. The head coach was a really nice Christian man named Brian, who led the team admirably. He was focused on teaching the players the game and helping them have fun uh, rather than winning a league championship. Yet naturally, there was a desire to win at least a, a game or two, so competitiveness was not altogether absent. In one game, I remember the umpire made a bad call, terrible call. And then a player on the opposing team did something unsportsmanlike toward one of our little players. And I saw Coach Brian's nice Christian face suddenly turn red with rage. I saw him kind of start to shake, and he went over and said something to the umpire. I encouraged him to let it go, but he was worked up, and he walked quickly over to the dugout, and he said to me, Pray for me, because I'm not in the Spirit. Pray for me, because I need to be in the Spirit. I've had similar experiences of the flesh rising up within me, and I thought it rather keen of him to recognize that was happening and to pray, to seek prayer, that he would be in the Spirit. As I prayed for him right there by the dugout, he calmed down. Prayer can aid us to walk by the Spirit even when the flesh mounts a fierce attack. In Galatians, the Spirit is set against the flesh and the law. Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Paul's not saying the law itself is bad. No, he's saying rigid legalism is off base and unnecessary because we have the guidance of God's Spirit. Just as the flesh opposes the Spirit by tempting Christians to be selfish, prideful, and quarrelsome and the like, legalism opposes the Spirit by robbing Christians of our freedom. It appears that the false teachers were saying that the Galatians would either live in rigid law observance or in total immorality. They saw only two options, legalism and libertinism. Nothing in between was even on their radar. But Paul says the solution to libertinism is not legalism, but the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the counter to strict legalism is not libertinism, but the Holy Spirit. The Spirit transcends both of the other options by empowering us to live a life of faith and love in Jesus Christ. 
Paul suggests that the Spirit of God is a sufficient guide in matters of personal conduct and Christian ethics. No list of rules or book of laws can counteract the flesh like the Spirit can. Legalism constricts, but the Spirit liberates. Legalism encloses, but the Spirit releases. The Spirit brings flexibility. The Spirit brings openness. The Spirit brings attentiveness to God's unfolding will. But life in the Spirit is not without ethical standards or moral direction, for the Spirit leads us into mutual service to one another. The Spirit leads us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The Spirit leads us to fulfill the law instead of living under the law. The Spirit leads us to see the law as a helpful resource rather than an overlord. The Spirit liberates us from the desires of the flesh, frees us from the constraints of the law, and releases us from the power of sin. One night when I was in college, my roommate and I played a small concert on campus. We played guitars and sang a bunch of songs and had a blast. At the end of our set, we transitioned into a time of praise and worship. My roommate played piano and led the whole audience there in singing songs of praise to God as the concert basically turned into a worship service. I had invited lots of people to come, basically everybody I knew, including a friend who was non-Christian. She had experience in another religious tradition, and she had experience academically studying world religions, but she did not have much experience, if any, in Christian worship. To my surprise, she not only came to the concert, but even stayed after for the worship time. And during the worship time, a Christian girl that we both knew asked her if she was enjoying it. She said, yes, I am enjoying it. Then she added, there's a spirit of freedom here. There's a spirit of freedom here that I have not experienced before. Indeed, as Paul writes elsewhere, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom to become slaves to one another in mutual love. There is freedom to love your neighbor as yourself. There is freedom to walk unconventionally in this wayward world. There is freedom to break loose from the power of the flesh. There is freedom to respect Old Testament law without being constrained by it. There is freedom to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. There is a freedom to live in daily responsiveness to the active, unseen presence of God guiding and directing our lives. There's freedom to live without guilt, shame, or condemnation holding us back. There's freedom to serve one another. There's freedom to love one another. There's freedom to follow in the way that Christ has shown us. There is freedom from legalism and there is freedom from libertinism. Indeed, we find freedom in between as we walk by the Spirit 
of God. Amen.